Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. I hope you're having a great day. This is Benji. Now, my guest on the show today is Megan Likes. Megan and her husband, Jeff, own and operate Jeff Likes Clean Windows and Gutters in Davis, California. Fun name, right? But her real power zone is as a financial translator. She is a chartered professional accountant, but not the boring kind that puts you to sleep or the other kind which intimidates you with technical jargon and a bunch of stuff you don't need. Through her actual bookkeeping business, her speaking engagements, her podcasts, and her online courses for entrepreneurs, Megan helps thousands of home service businesses every year get a grip with their numbers, make more money, and most importantly, remove that financial fear that so many entrepreneurs secretly struggle with. Today's conversation in particular is about three of the easiest KPIs to track and impact which will both move your top line and your bottom line simultaneously. And you don't need fancy dashboards or a finance degree to get it. Curious what they are? Stay tuned. Just one last thing. There are links for all of Megan's stuff in the description. If this conversation resonates with you, if you like her style, do yourself a favor and get in touch with her directly. Okay, enough from me. Let's dive in with Megan Likes. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Megan Likes, welcome to Contractor Evolution. We're really excited to have you. Thank you, Benji. I'm super stoked to be here. The last time I saw you, we were eating hot chicken. It was very, very spicy. There were a lot of grown men and women crying. But that's the game you play in Nashville. Don't wipe your eyes with your hands. Eat the pickles and get on the water immediately after. That was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. And the white bread, there was a lot of tears. There There was a lot of sweat. There was a lot of crying. Uh, and I learned a lot about you through that event. So thanks. Thanks for that. Like you're in a hot chicken. Uh, Fanatic. You, you're an expert. Yeah. You had a lot of fun facts up your sleeve. Yeah. yeah. And you thought you that you thought you were a tough guy. You wanted to get the extra hot. I said, I think you should keep it in the medium to hot range. And you were very bullish. And the rest is history. I remember a friend uh, saying, I really like chicken and this is ruining it for me. So. Uh, sorry about that, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, man, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, we're going to talk about kind of three KPIs that business owners who love making money need to be obsessed about. It's a really simple framework for driving profitability in your business. But I thought I'd start with an easy question, Megan. Why do you think so many entrepreneurs dread talking to their accountants? Why is that relationship uh, so tricky sometimes? Well, I mean, I could ask you, do you like talking to your accountant? Because like nobody does. They, they don't, they, they avoid your accountant like the plague, like worse than the dentist. I feel like my clients would rather go to the dentist than come see me. And I, right. I've worked really hard to make that more accessible. But there is a, there's a language barrier that happens. So I feel like as accountants, and I, I am a CPA, I'm not your CPA, but like I'm a, I'm an official accountant and I feel like we pride ourselves on like being smart. Like I think as a professional, we're generally considered smart and we, uh, we do some crazy things that I like to refer to as CPA voodoo magic, which is like, this is very complex. This is very hard. You pay us a lot of money so we can do this for you and you don't need to be bothered with the details. And I think what ends up happening is we have a business owner that comes in our office who's afraid of money. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. who's bad at math and who this is terrifying for them. Like I have so many clients that they shut down. Like it is a terrible, no good, very bad day when they get a letter from a government agency. Right. Like that is game over. And and they have a lot of fear around that. There's just so much fear and uncertainty. And I feel like as entrepreneurs, we have to be relatively confident to go into business for ourselves. And yet when it comes to money, we have little to no confidence or we're overconfident. Some people overconfident. Do you think that there is fear, stigma, insecurities? Do you think there's like all of these sort of like maybe baggage around this specific topic, maybe from school, maybe from another time in life? Like, is that, you know, would, would, would that be an apt description of the average entrepreneur when it comes to understanding their numbers and feeling confident, feeling good about it? I don't know where it comes from, but I would say like anecdotally, less than 10% of entrepreneurs are good at money. So if you are listening to this and you are not good at money, you are in good company with 90% of other entrepreneurs, right? And I think that there's a lot of bravado that comes around money. Like when we go to a trade show and we're at the bar, everybody's talking about their sales and like we're bragging about Johnny who's doing, you know, eight figures, you know, and, and the reality is they have no idea what's happening with the money of their business. There's not enough cash in the bank account. There's not enough money to pay payroll and they might not even be paying themselves. So that happens. And then when we put an accountant into that equation, accountants aren't fun. Mm -hmm. Like my husband, Jeff, had to come to a CPA thing with me in September in Lake Tahoe, beautiful place, beautiful event. And Jeff is just like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, accountants are boring. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not good with people. We're not good with words. We're really good with numbers. And so I think that a lot of business owners actually need more hand-holding. They need, like, a space where they can be vulnerable and they can be honest about their numbers because they're not doing it at the bar with their friends. And they don't because their accountant makes them feel dumb. And so then they kind of shut down because they're not used to feeling dumb. I've noticed... even myself, like you, you, you sit down with someone and there's a whole bunch of technical jargon being thrown around. There's terminology maybe you don't really understand. And you have this weird sensation of not fully getting the picture that's being painted, not fully grasping the conversation, but you're too afraid to ask for clarification because you're going to look dumb or sound dumb. And so you just kind of sit there quietly like, oh yeah, I, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then you leave the meeting as confused sometimes more than you were when you went in. And the accountant isn't looking in the eyes, so they don't notice when you checked out. They don't (laughs) notice when they lost you, right? right? They don't notice when your eyes glaze over because they're not, they're looking at their paper. They're looking down. And this is not to say accountants are bad. We need accountants. We actually need more accountants, but most accountants are not going to be the person that you think that they are. You think that they're going to be like this champion for your business. That's like going to help you figure out the money. And I'm going to just remind you, that's not how you pay them. You pay them after the fact for something that is compliance related and it has nothing to do with planning and has nothing to do with proactiveness. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation today for that reason, because it's very, very pragmatic. We're not going to use technical highbrow jargon. It's going to be very, very, uh, you'll just get a lot of utility and it's very straightforward. Uh, tell tell us a bit about your background, your story, Megan, because I think that you come to this from a very unique vantage point in that you're quite involved uh, in home service businesses and you're quite involved on the accounting side also. So tell us a bit about your background and then by extension, your kind of your philosophy when it comes to financial translation and helping entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah. So it's a hard answer. It's, I'm a very complex person. So it's always hard to answer this question. And I think I like should keep this to a minute or less. So we're going to try our best. 
I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad owned restaurants and scrapbook stores, and I, my mom's a writer. Like, my parents loved this idea of the American dream of, you know, you could make a job out of anything, and you can make money on your own, and you don't have to work for somebody else. I love that. They all failed, though. That was the bummer, right? They all failed at every one of those ventures, and my parents are now both public school teachers, and they work for the state of California. Great employer, great jobs, and they're teaching the next generation. They're doing really, really valuable work. Uh, I then met a man uh, while I was on a sabbatical as a ski bum who wanted to be a window cleaner, and I was terrified because I was like, uh, we can't start a window cleaning company because every company I know doesn't really work out. And it turns out that that's not unusual. 75% of businesses fail in the first 15 years. That is the statistic. And I started to realize that maybe the reason why is because they don't understand money. And money really does make the business go round. So Jeff wanted to start this window cleaning business. I bought a book that said how to start a window cleaning business. And we, we started this business. It took us a good five years before we really treated it like a business. It was just a job in the beginning, which I think is very common across other people. At the 10-year mark, we had really figured this out for a window cleaning business, and I was able to leave my corporate CPA job. So I was the one that had a solid W-2, a consistent paycheck. You know, I was meeting with business owners about money and taxes, and I had worked in financial planning. I kind of built this whole career around money. I was a nerd. I'm still a nerd. And my husband's home service business that most people think makes no money was able to support me in leaving my my desk job. So I left my desk job, but I was too much of a feminist to like go work for my husband. I was like, oh no, I you know I've worked too hard to become a CPA. I've got to start my own thing. So I built a firm around this relationship that I my clients were craving to have with me, but the business model didn't support. So I built Likes Accounting to be a proactive tax accounting firm that did tax planning for small businesses. Mm-hmm. That way, they paid me to talk to me year-round before they made mistakes, and then I did their tax returns as like a side benefit after the fact. What happened is I scaled super fast. Uh, I, I think I onboarded 500 clients in my first 30 days. I grew to a team of 11 in my first 12 months, and it was actually just the model. The model is not designed to be proactive. So I've been iterating over the past five years with Legs Accounting, And here's where I've landed, and I'm quite happy. I've been here about three years now. What Jeff needed that whole time was not a good tax accountant. Good tax accountants are quite easy to find, actually. What he needed was like a financial translator and a financial coach that knew his business and knew him and spoke his language and could help him look at the things he needed to look at. He didn't need somebody to sit there and like force him to understand a balance sheet. He needed somebody to sit there who could help him figure out why isn't there any cash in the bank? How can we get more cash at the bank? Are you happy with what you're doing? Are you working too much? Are you working too little? How do you add that next truck? How do you add that next employee? And so I started to build a company around that. And what I realized is data is important. We have to have good financial data. But we, most business owners, especially in home service, have good data because they have a CRM. Mm -hmm. The data exists. We just don't know how to interpret Mm -hmm. it. So this idea of financial translation is let's bring somebody who is numbers focused, who has a lot of confidence around numbers and math skills and money, and pair them up with a business owner who's terrified in this realm. Let's speak their language. Let's meet them where they are, and let's change some some stories. And so now I have the honor and privilege of helping about 10,000 business owners a year 
through public speaking engagements, online courses, one-on-one -on -one engagements, and I am trying to be a financial translator and coach for those in home service who have fear around it but are too afraid to speak up that they have fear around it. I think that that is so well said and the, uh, the point that really resonates me that you just made, <clears throat> there's a difference between data and information or, or knowledge. Data is raw, knowledge is refined. One is just sort of this aggregate dump of numbers and spreadsheets and tables and can be very, very overwhelming. Whereas the latter is actually quite, there's utility there. There's something that we can do with that information. And I just think that's a really important distinction to make. Uh, this lot of business owners that we work with as well will have sort of paralysis analysis because they're actually looking at too many dashboards and too much data without actually turning it into anything usable. So it's a really important point and I think that it sort of segues well into the conversation we're going to have today, which is uh, really about three KPIs that you can do something with. They're easy to track. They're, they're easy to manipulate with or without a CRM. Actually, you don't even need to have the most robust uh, tech stack to, to pay attention to these things. And they are average job size or AGS as we're going to refer to it, conversion rate, sometimes known as sales ratio and lead slippage. Let's, let's start with the top one here. Um, average job size, Megan, what is it? Why does it matter? I'm so glad you asked because I feel like so many times I come on a podcast or I'm at an engagement and people are like, let's talk about average job size. And I'm like, wait, we have to take a step back. Your listeners might not know what we're talking about. So let's bring it to a language point where they understand. So the calculation, whether you have a CRM or not, is quite simple. And it's something that all of you listening can do. You look at your calendar. I hope we're all working from a calendar. And you look at your, if you need to look at your bank account, you can, or you can look at your books. So you choose a period of time. So we could choose yesterday, for example. Look at yesterday, how much money did I make yesterday and how many jobs did I do? If you have larger job sizes, yesterday is probably not a big enough sampling. So mm. let's go to last week. Mm -hmm. Last week when we look at our calendar, how many jobs were on that calendar and how much income did we make? And that's how we figure out average job size. Now you could do this for a month, you could do this for a year, you could do this for a quarter. I don't really care. You need a starting point. What was your average job size recently? And choose a number and then start tracking it. So if you chose a sampling from yesterday, then we can look at it a month from now and be like, have we improved? Or what happened mm -hmm. there? Did we go down? What was the change? What was the shift that happened? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, needless to say, we, we want this probably to go up. A, a higher average job size equals higher revenue in the end. It also equals higher gross profit margins and, and resulting net profit margins. What are some really like obvious and available tactics um, that you see to increase average job size, Megan? Yeah, so I liked to think about it like what is in your current wheelhouse? What can you currently do? What is in your power? So when I think about my window cleaning company, I think about, huh, I had this huge like light bulb moment a couple years ago when my company it was called Jeff Likes Clean Windows, but my highest profit service was gutter cleaning. And most of my clients had no idea that I offered gutter cleaning services. And I was like, well, of course they don't because it's not in my little logo image and it's not in my name. So it's my job to share with my clients what services do I offer with my existing team, with my existing equipment, and what do they need? I'm the expert. They called me 
to clean their windows. I feel like I have an obligation to them to also share with them the other services I offer. And we can apply this to pretty much any industry. I like to talk about maid service because I feel like most of us have a housekeeper in our world. When I think about it, we call them to clean our house. But when we want to increase an average ticket in maid service, we ask Mrs. Jones, when was the last time you had your fridge cleaned out? When was the last time you had your oven cleaned out? How are your baseboards looking? Would you like us to change your sheets? So we're adding these little tiny extra services to that job and we increase our average job size. Mm -hmm. Window cleaning, it was Mrs. Jones. Um, when was the last time you had your gutters cleaned? And then Mrs. Jones, we recommend having your gutters cleaned twice a year. Mrs. Jones, while we're on your roof cleaning your gutters, we should take a look at your solar panels. Did you know that when you have your solar panels cleaned, we see your efficiency go up by 30%? And we're just educating Mrs. Jones and having this conversation with her around our current service offering. We're not going, like, I'm not going to start offering painting or, like, pest control. That, that's, not, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're adding one extra thing to that ticket that the customer needs, and they just didn't know to ask mm -hmm. for. The other thing I've heard you talk about, I remember at this conference I slipped into your breakout room, and you were, you were, um, you were really advocating for a big bump in pricing across the board. So not even adding services, just a full-blown raise your pricing floor. And you, I, I'll just let you unpack that yourself because you had some really good comments about what's going on economically right now and now being kind of the perfect time to do that. I gave a talk about this last week, probably similar to the talk that you saw back in Nashville. And I said, you know, do you know what our inflation rate is, the rolling 12-month average of inflation? And as of August in the U.S., it was 8.3%. And so then I asked the audience, or I'm going to ask you, our listeners, when was the last time you raised your prices? And have you raised them at least 8.3% in the past 12 months? And most people say, yeah, I've raised them, but they haven't raised them that much. And then I say, 8.3 is not enough. Don't you dare go raise your prices 8.3%. Now is your opportunity because your customers, your clients, they're getting emails from Amazon. They're getting emails from Netflix. They're getting emails from Hulu. They're get, they have been so conditioned to people raising their prices whose costs really haven't gone up if you think about SaaS companies. Totally. Like, their costs aren't really going up that much. They, they have lots of capacity. They're only raising their prices because they can. And I need you to get on this bandwagon because this is your opportunity to right side your pricing. You have been afraid to raise your prices every year. You've been afraid of Mrs. Jones calling you greedy, so you're not raising your prices. So I'm saying use the current climate to price correctly. Adjust yourself up to where you need to be because I learned two years ago from a woman named Ellen Rohr that the majority of home service businesses are not priced correctly because they have priced based on their competition not based on their company. So if you've been priced wrong for the last couple of years, now is literally the perfect out. It's like, it's the absolute, uh, I could not think of a better moment to actually make that shift because the environment that your customer is sitting in, like Megan says, they're pretty conditioned to it at this point. Uh, and, and unlike unlike Netflix or Amazon, these examples, your business actually, the inflation has actually hit your business much harder. So there's a more urgent need for you to do it than a large, a large software company. Um, uh, so it's, it's a really, really good point. I was going to say that you've probably increased your wages that you're paying your staff. Your material costs have definitely gone up and all of that has currently come from your pocket, but that's not your fault. Like we need to translate those price increases onto our clients and, and it doesn't have to be a bad email. I actually gave this class and I showed, go pull up your Amazon email. It says price increase right in the subject line. 
There's no apology in there. It's just matter of fact. Copy and paste those emails that you're getting as a consumer and translate those onto your clients. Do not apologize for it. This is your opportunity. And I'm going to just challenge you to be a little mm-hmm. aggressive. 100% price increase is not completely out of order here. If you have been priced wrong, if you've not had net profit margins, now's your chance and go big. Because it's hard to do emotionally. I get it. So you might as well make it count because you're not going to do it again for a couple months. Yeah. And for those of you listening, if you want to check out, um, <clears throat> Megan has grace uh, gracefully shared uh, one of her tools that she's built. It's a pricing calculator. I'd really, really encourage you to check it out. Um, she's got you know, obviously a ton of amazing courses and, and, and wisdom to share, but this is a neat tool. It's pretty simple, uh, that you can access in the description of this episode. You can go play around with it, uh, and rejig your pricing structure. Any thoughts on that comment you just made about, um, you know, feeling bad about it or, or someone's emotions around raising prices like this is, this is not, maybe speak to the listener out there who goes, "Ah, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to come off as just this bloodthirsty capitalist who's only concerned about the bottom line. That's not me. What would you say to someone with sort of that belief system in their mind about their plight, about their pricing as it currently is? I would say it has no place. I, I was about to say if you're an owner operator, fine. But if you have employees, you're doing them a disservice. But I've decided, no, even if you're an owner operator, you're probably also a spouse maybe a parent, probably a child, we have an obligation to price profitably so that we can be here in 15 years. Mm-hmm. We have an obligation to understand our costs fundamentally and translating those costs onto our clients and then presenting great value to those clients so that we can be generous employers, so that we can be generous community members, so that we can continue to provide value to our economy. If we are not priced correctly, we will not be here to do that in the future. You are, if you're not priced right, you're silently going bankrupt and you don't even know it. And in this environment right now, which is very inflationary, I was, this is this was an article I, I read the other day, I think it was in The Economist, and it was just a really, really well put point. Basically what this guy was saying, he, he was an economist, just happened to be in the publication, The Economist. He says, over in, in a big inflationary cycle like the one we're in right now, there's essentially two kinds of companies. There are those that get really good at passing rising costs off to their customers, and then there are those that get caught holding the bag. And it is really that simple. You definitely don't want to be in the latter. Uh, so listen to what Megan is saying and try to boost that AJS. Let's move on to... Um, let me say one more thing. I hate interrupting, but I, I want you to not think about yourself. And I feel like you got to dig deep. So think about your kids. Think about your spouse. Think about your employees. Think about doing this for them. Think about your clients. Like your clients need you to get on the roof and clean their gutters or replace their roof or whatever service you offer. They need you and they need you to be here in 10 years. They need you to be here in 15 years. So if you can't raise your prices because you're afraid for yourself, do it for them. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, to, to, a little, little less guilty. Make it about the other, not yourself, uh, if, that's, if that's what you're struggling with on this front. 
Um, second big KPI we look at is conversion rate. Now you are a, you know, you guys do window cleaning and home services. Uh, so you guys call it a conversion rate. Uh, a lot of your sales are done over the phone. If you're a larger average job size contractor, like a landscaper or a painter or a roofer, or you do construction, you might, the same metric you might call sales ratio, but it's essentially how efficient you are at turning the estimates that you complete, the sales opportunities that you have into closed deals. Megan, I'll let you kind of put your spin on it and how, how you look at that metric and calculate it. What What is conversion rate to you? And again, wh- why does it matter? Yeah. So this one is tricky to calculate because there's lots of different opportunities to calculate it. I like to keep it simple. So let's look at the same calendar for last week that we were just looking at for average job size. How many estimates did you deliver last week? And then how many invoices did you get signatures on last week? Now, I realize that if you have a larger job size that the that it might take a little bit longer to nurture that client and you might not be closing you know, estimates in the same week that you're giving them, that's okay. We're just looking for a consistent way of calculating this so that we can then track it a month from now. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing a trend? Like I'm giving you the math, you're going to do it at a point in time and then you're going to come back and do the math again the exact same way. And that's how you know if you've learned from Benji and I today, if you've made progress, like if you're actually changing your financial story. So if we look at last week, how many estimates did we issue? And then how many invoices did we get signatures on? How many invoices did we close? And that to me is how I describe my conversion rate. The reason that this is the reason that this is important to me is twofold. Number one, you close more deals, you get more sales, you do more revenue. That's a good thing. The other thing that you need to think about is leads are sneaky expensive. Leads are sneaky expensive. You spend money on marketing activities, uh, depending on how efficient they are. You are spending a lot or a little if you're really, really good, but. Pr- more than likely you're spending quite a good chunk of your overall revenue uh, every year on lead acquisition and marketing and brand related stuff. And so you want to make the most out of those dollars spent. So that's why to me, it really matters. What are some of the main things that you coach business owners to do to increase the efficiency of their conversion rate, close more deals out of the estimates that they do? Be a human. Think about your client. I feel like I tell Jeff every day, well, but what about them? (laughs) Like, you're just talking about you. And I feel like he's a sophisticated business owner, but we get stuck in our world and we forget about our client's world. And once we start to detach, like Jeff has, Jeff works less than five hours a week. Jeff talks to maybe less than 1% of his client base now. Uh, We forget to translate that onto the people that are talking to our clients. Are we training our technicians on building empathy Are we training our technicians on professionalism? Are we training the person who answers the phone to answer with a smile patiently as if they've been waiting for that call all day long? Do we train our teams how to build rapport with our clients? Do we even talk to our team about how our clients aren't them? I feel like that's a huge disconnect that happens. Like everybody's like, well, I would never pay that much for Mm -hmm. this thing. Well, you are not who I'm spending a lot of money to get to call me, right? You are not my ideal client. Let's talk about who my ideal client is. So spending time training on soft skills, training on communication, training on personalities, and really just investing in the human component of our businesses. We are all very good technicians. And I love to brag that my husband, I have to sneak this into every podcast. He is a window cleaning world champion two times. Like he is a fantastic window cleaner. 
But business did not come naturally to him. Connecting with humans in a systematic way that he could train others did not come naturally to him. This is something he's had to work very hard at to build into our training programs. And we started with our technicians. Like, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have an excellent technician training program. And if you don't have it formally, you have an informal one because we are in the people business, right? And then uh, Breakthrough Academy kind of made us build out a lead technician training program. And then we just recently realized in 15 years in business that we didn't have an admin training program. Like, we have not set our admins up for success, and they are the face and the smile of our company. They are the first impression mm-hmm. with that client, the way they answer the phone, the way they tee up the sale, the way they like prepare the client for their journey with our company is huge. Mm-hmm. And if we could spend time there, your conversion rate will naturally go up. I really like that that probably. really line that it's a great line connecting with humans in a systematic way that is a very succinct way of describing sales because sales if you've done it if you've got any reps at it you realize it's pretty formulaic it's fairly you know there's a there's a process that you follow pretty consistently from opportunity to opportunity and yet within that system and that word sounds so kind of like inhuman, you know, but within that system, you find these moments of connectivity with the person. One of the things that we've done that has made the biggest difference, and I really advocate, um, for business owners, to, business owners to give this a think and 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 build this into their own business is setting up really good question flows for the people that do calls. So we have a sales team that would do a variety of different like discovery calls and strategy sessions and business assessments. Uh, but it's the same thing as a setup call and then and then a, and then an appointment or an estimate or a, a design meeting or whatever it is you call it in your business. Usually we don't call it a sales call because we don't you know customers don't want to be sold to. But you kind of know what I'm talking about with. Within those calls and those meetings, set up a huge list of questions that your caller, your salesperson, your estimator have available to them. They have at their disposal. And those questions are designed in such a way that they really make the client feel seen and understood. Um, And they're thoughtful. And what you want a client to be feeling after you're asking questions is like, huh, I never thought that like a contractor or a window cleaning company would actually ask me that. That's actually really cool. And I'm going to be a little bit more long winded in my answer. Now I'm going to give you a little bit more to go on. And when you get good at question asking, you do it in such a way that people really feel connected to you with, um, the closing part, which a lot of people are very nervous about. I don't want to ask for the job. I don't want to be too pushy. Uh, get that. But the closing part becomes so easy. You will have such a connection, such a vibe. You literally just say, hey, we really like to do this work with you. Can we take a deposit and schedule you? And it really does happen that easily. So there's a lot that you can. I mean, we could get into a bunch more stuff. But I think for today, like learn how to connect with humans in a systematic way. Learn how to build rapport. Um, understand your own value and sell that well. Um, it's pretty easy to boost your, your SR or your conversion rate by 10%. And the impacts that that has on your aggregate revenue and then your profit at the end of the year is way bigger than you might think. Yeah, I, I love all of that. I'm going to just say we're not looking for a call script. You're looking for a call flow. You can't write it. You need them to help you write it. So you want it to be their language, their words. Otherwise, it will come across scripted, even if it's a flow. 
and you need to show them where in the questioning you insert the questions, right? So when you're asking Mrs. Jones for her name and phone number, like what do you ask her before that and after that? And you can kind of build this out with the person answering the phone. Then you build it out with the person who's asking for the sale. And like Benji said, even the people on the phone are selling. They're selling an appointment, right? So they need to ask. Mrs. Jones called to get this service done. Mrs. Jones needs to be able to get on the calendar, get that service done before she hangs up the phone, even if getting that service done means scheduling that first sales appointment, right? So most people who answer the phone are afraid of sales. It's a scary word. I, I want to get rid of that. We, Mrs. Jones called us. <laughs> Our job is to help her. And the best way we can help her is by going to her house, right? right? Like otherwise we haven't helped her at all and we've wasted right. her time. Uh, so call, yeah, so call flow, not call script. Keep it human. Let the person who's saying it build it themselves. Just give them the framework to build it. And then uh, coach them through how asking for the sale is not a scary thing. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a huge part of this serving our clients and serving our community. 100% could not have said it better myself without closing that deal. You've essentially just had a hangout on their lawn or a phone call that led to nothing and you've actually not done your job at all. So let's talk about lead slippage, this third and final one. Um, I'll ask you the same question as I have the last two. What is it? Why does it matter? Yeah, this one is a little bit harder to measure. Uh, I still struggle measuring this in my company. Uh, but Breakthrough Academy has really challenged me. They've tried to get me to figure out a way. So the idea is for all of the opportunities that are coming into your company, how many of those actually turn into an estimate? So is that phone calls? Is that web form submissions? Is that leads from third parties? Of all the opportunities coming in, how many actually turn into an estimate? And the difference between those two numbers, the leads coming in and the estimates that go out, is the lead slippage. Mm -hmm. And usually we can look at this as a percentage of our flows. And and as Benji says, like I have a lot lower ticket. Um, we're I'd say we're like the lower rungs of home service in our window cleaning company. So for us, we don't think our lead slippage should really be more than 5%. Mm -hmm. We should be able, like if you're going to call us, we should be able to send out estimates for 95% of the people that call us. Now, there are other companies that have a lot larger tickets that I think you could talk about, Benji. Like their lead slippage might be as much as like, I don't know. It's a really great point. No, no, I, I can tell you, like I, I would say that you, if you do a larger average job size, you could have a, a lead slippage all the way up to about 30% and we would consider that quite healthy. In other words, you're discarding one of every three leads you get and you're doing that because you have tight qualification measures. You ask questions to make sure that this person fits your ideal candidate profile. They live in the part of town that you serve. They have a budget allocated. They're planning on doing this this year. I mean, I'm, I am a sales guy. Like I'm big on not wasting time on tire kickers. So I think that there is a healthy amount that you should discard, but it changes from industry to industries, industry to industry. So it's a really good point with you doing smaller average job size. It costs you virtually nothing to get a quote out the door. There's no reason to have it as high as 30. Whereas if you're sending out a designer and an estimator that actually is incurring cost on your business, then it's good to be a little bit more protective of your people's time. So that's a really, really good point. But I want to go back to something you just said um, like you have all these opportunities that are coming to you from these different channels and these different ways. How important is it to teach either yourself, if you're still doing a lot of the calls or your admin team, if they're doing the calls, prioritizing between different lead sources? What can you say about that? Yeah, not all leads are created equal. And this is a little bit of a problem in my company that I've been trying to fix for the past year. But even a lead could be a returning customer. 
right? Like I, I want to clean windows and gutters twice a year. So I had this epiphany in March of 2022 when my admin had no idea how to prioritize returning calls, emails, and form submissions at the beginning of her day. She didn't know how to parse through them. So I had to sit down and have a conversation with her. So if it comes from this source, I've had to pay this much money to get that name and phone number. So that should be top priority, right? And if it comes from this source, like if it's a returning customer, and I feel bad if a returning customer is listening to this, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you to wait till after lunch to get a call back because fine. I have a feeling you know, like, and trust me already. And so you're not going to be the first one that I'm going to call back in the morning. I'm going to call back the one that I paid to get their name and phone number from. And then I'm going to start working through this list. And every business is going to be different about that list. But I think owners do this naturally because they signed those contracts to get those leads, right? They were very thoughtful about those lead sources. So in their head, this is a very natural like, oh, let's prioritize this way. I would say 99% of owners have not spent the time to translate that onto their admin or to the person who's actually following up on the leads. So not all leads are treated equal and there should be some criteria of how we deal with them. And I think that goes to another conversation about a day in the life of an admin, like start your day here, before lunch do this, after lunch do this and end your day here. And you're setting them up for success, you're not micromanaging them. and. And I think it's what you expect is actually happening, but we haven't had that open communication to see if that's what's actually happening. So prioritizing those leads can really help with the mm -hmm. lead slippage. And uh, and I think your admin's gonna love it because they're mm -hmm. craving this. They wanna know. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we've that we've implemented that is working really well to to be hyper efficient with the leads that we get is using automations, especially reminder sequences. If you don't get someone on a call, so you do a lot of inbound calls. Some sales organizations would also be making a lot of outbound calls where they're getting a, a name or a contact and they have to pick up the phone and make them. And you sometimes you don't get it on the first try, and sometimes it takes days, and sometimes you never reach them at all. But one good thing, one thing that we've found uh, super useful in, in getting people on the phone and getting people showing up for their meetings and their calls is using automations, using a good CRM. Uh, we use Zoho. There's, there's hundreds out there that work. Uh, look, look for the best ones in your industry. Um, and if, it, and if, and if some of the, and if your, your platform has baked into it, text messaging automations, even better. If you don't have that, you can look for a plugin. They're pretty widely available. Um, the way consumer habits are going right now is much more texty texty and a lot less emaily emaily. Um, so I, we've had, we see like open rates of like 89% on a lot of our text messages and people get back to us right away. Like, Hey, you know what? I'm actually running 30 minutes behind right now. Can you call me at this time instead of that time? Sure. No problem. But we, we would have never gotten that information from them if we're sending an email to an already busy inbox that they may not get to till the end of the day. If we're even lucky, uh, text messages or text message and automation is a great way to fix this. It's another really important point. You want to respond to your customers in the way that they reached out to you. So I had an admin five years ago and she called everybody and she would get so annoyed because nobody would call her back and she couldn't get anybody on the phone. I'm like, yeah, because they sent a form submission. They don't want to talk to you on the phone. Yeah, they sent a text. They don't want you to call them. You need to reply to them the way that they reached out to you. And I have a 90-day follow-up sequence for my window cleaning company that incorporates voicemail bombs, text messages, 
emails, and it has automations for outbound calls. So I add in that human component, but I've automated it. You should, once you build out the system, you should not, you should not, I have full confidence that the system works because it's an automated system that's added in human components. And um, you can, I mean, there's a ton of money sitting on the table there. That that would increase conversion rate, I'd say, because, but it could also increase lead slippage. It works both ways. Um, it's, it's funny you say that, it will like, like reach out to them the way that they reached out to you. Like it makes me think of times I've like texted a buddy who I haven't talked to in a while and you send him a nice text and then, and then you put your phone down and 30 seconds later it's buzzing and your buddy's calling your back and you're like, the fuck like this is this is a text conversation what are you doing raising the stakes to a phone conversation right now i'm watching netflix dude it's just it's so i don't know if it's a millennial thing but that is like so true if somebody texts your business and you call them right back they're gonna they're gonna have probably that same response um listen you've said it all let's do a quick recap actually uh average job size or ajs Okay, hugely important KPI, conversion rate or SR, and then lead slippage. Here's a question. If somebody starts monitoring this and they really pay close attention to this, and then they start and then they start incrementally improving it, they're not trying to make crazy, bold, insane improvements overnight. They're trying to move the needle in the right direction slowly but surely. If an entrepreneur kind of commits to tracking these very pragmatic, not complicated, super simple, yet powerful KPIs, what do you think their benefit gains as a result? So I give a talk about this, um, and I've given it a couple different directions, one from the owner perspective, one from the admin perspective, but here's the math that I've done. A million dollar home service company by increasing their average job size 20%. So I'm talking about one extra thing. Think about that maid service company by adding in changing the sheets and cleaning out the fridge or cleaning the baseboards, right? Add in one extra thing that's 20% higher than working with that same admin or working with yourself on your sales ratio, increasing your sales ratio by 5%, just 5% by being a better human and connecting with your clients, and then reducing your lead slippage by 10%, meaning like, let's just be systematic about how we respond to leads and let's now understand that not all leads are created equal. That should very easily translate to a 10% reduction in lead slippage. Uh, we'll take that million dollar company to $3 million. Mm -hmm. And I've done that math over and over mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Simple stuff, huge, huge net result down the road for you. And what I like about this conversation is we didn't get into balance sheets or income statements. We didn't get into complex forecasts or any scary stuff. This is grade eight math. Uh, average job size. It's like how many projects did you do last week or last month? Right. And how much revenue did that earn? Conversion rate. It's similar, lead slippage similar. This is really, really easy um, and quite easy to implement. Megan, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about some of the offerings that you have, and there are many, um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit complicated. Uh, if you need your windows cleaned and you're in Northern California, <laughs> just kidding. That's called Jeff Likes Clean Windows. People like to stalk me. They like to know, you know, uh, that I have a legit home service company, and uh, I do. I have an accounting firm called Likes Accounting Company where we do this one-on-one -on -one consulting and financial translation for home service business owners. I have an online education platform. So like my passion and mission now is educating and empowering business owners, much like you, our listeners, to know your numbers because I feel like that's how I'm going to change your life and change your family's life and change your community's life. 
So that company is called Bookkeeping Academy Online. Uh, and it has a really epic offering in there called Profits to Freedom. So you can go to ProfitsToFreedom.com. I feel like that is my life's work. It is the best I've ever put together for like a crash course in six hours. How can I change your complete financial future? Um, and then we have this admin training now. I've gotten into the admin training business recently with some girlfriends. Uh, that is called Admin Bootcamp Adventure, brought to you by My Office Outfitter. And I have a podcast, Fight Club Number Four Business. Uh, so there's lots of, I also have nonprofit. Why don't, let's just do it. Thepadsproject.org. There you go. I got lots of ways for you to get a hold of me. Choose your choose your passion, and I love to nerd out about business. You're a, you're a woman with many hustles, and I really really love it. All this, you know what, guys? If I can just give a big plug for Me for Megan, like we are we're like we're friends but we're also huge advocates for all things she does and says if you see her at a conference go to her breakout or her main stage talk uh we will include links for like bookkeepingacademy.com and admin bootcamp and and uh all, all those things that you mentioned so those will be widely available and in the description um i really want to thank you for being here it's been a pleasure hanging out um and we'll see you next time we'll have to do this again soon yeah. Thanks so much. Maybe over hot chicken, huh? Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.